turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at ikea-usa.com. Hello and welcome to another podcast from your friends at Books of the Year, because that's what we haven't we weren't here for ages, and now we're back with another one very quickly, and then there's going to be another one very very quickly. It's like we're in a hurry. Here's what we're going to do, because we haven't got any ads to read. Uh, no. What we one thing or another. So um, we're going to do an ad. I hadn't told Matt this. Why don't we just do an ad for a product we like? Okay. <laughs> so, so so I'm going to mention Union Coffee. Because okay. I really like Union Coffee. Now, you, you can get it in supermarkets and you can send off, they deliver. Uh, and they have a really good trading uh, position and their coffee is fantastic. So I would always recommend Union Coffee. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I reach for my Union Coffee. I love buy this. It, Isn't, buy it yes. online or from a supermarket near you. Okay, Matt, Excellent. now you get to choose okay. any product my- and then you do an ad as though they're paying for it. Okay, so my brand of choice in the kitchen is yes. Joseph and Joseph. Joseph and Joseph make things like uh, knives and uh, chopping boards and lemon squeezers and garlic crushers. And seeing as I have spent the last four months doing nothing but cook, mainly banoffee pies, I only ever use Joseph and Joseph. Excellent. Well, this is a whole new strand, which is, yes, doesn't make a lot is. of commercial sense. Really, no, it doesn't make get, any sense. We just get to promote stuff <laughs> because, okay, by highlighting the fact that there's no ads. But anyway, so there you go. That's the. It's a whole new trend where we just make stuff up about yes. products that we like. So uh, if you want to get in touch, Matt, uh, you can tweet us. How do you tweet? You tweet us at uh, Books of the Year, which yes, is on the right. Twitter. And if you want to email us, it's Books of the Year at Yahoo.com. Thank you very much it indeed. Is. Stand by. Here comes another top author. Uh, here we go with another one of our top books of the year. It's called Finders Keepers. It's Finders, comma, Keepers, and then it's Sabine Durrant. Hello, Sabine. Where are you? Hello. I'm, I'm actually lying on my bed in my oh. bedroom in London. Yeah. What a strange thing this is. We used to do all these interviews <laughs> in studios, uh, and we would be, Matt and I would be very sitting very close to each other with, you know, Malcolm Gladwell coming in and, you know, shuffling along on a polished bench. Now, I mean, I haven't seen anybody pr- properly for months. And, I know. And, and you're weird, lying in your bed. Yeah, but this is where I work, so it's actually sort of really rather fitting that I should be doing this here. It's, this, is my, um, this is my office, actually, my bed, yeah. surrounded by bits and pieces, a cat lying next to me. I've got some windows open onto my garden. Um, so, yeah, this is where I normally do my, my writing. And Pathetic, Matt, where are you? It? I'm I'm in my loft, um, and I I should warn everyone that I can hear the uh, ice cream van is doing the rounds of our 
uh, streets. And so I, I'm, I'm going to say within the next 10 minutes, you're going to hear the ice cream van come outside my house. Oh, that'd and be nice. I'm going to uh, obviously uh, instruct my son to go and get me uh, a 99 uh, midway through the interview. Um, but yes, I'm looking out onto our garden and gorgeous weather. And what about you, are you Simon? Are you still in your spur room? Looking out onto, yeah, looking yeah. out onto a building site. I haven't yes. really left here since March. Obviously. And- it's a little bit it's a little bit warm really i realize that everything should be hoovered and certainly dusted a little bit more uh, than uh-huh. it is anyway does sabine does sabine care about any of this I no no, no no i'm fascinated and actually what i keep thinking is if i was to hear the same ice cream van that would be really that as a thriller writer that would be that you know two seconds after matt that would be the yeah. perfect beginning of a book and actually he's you know hey. upstairs in my loft oh, da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming from inside the house it's inside. It's just it's the same ice cream van. It's my child who's going out to get him a ninety nine. <laughs> this is this is like the beginning of an amazing story. Anyway, I'm writing it next, so there we go. That's yeah, my nice. next book. Hey, look, I've got a book coming out next month. I'm going to change. I'm already thinking I might just get onto the printer and say, "Hold the press." <laughs> I've had this idea about an ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. I reckon that. I reckon that could work. So, uh, Sabine, uh, uh, actually, before we go, Matt, describe the cover of the book uh, yes. and so that people can get this picture in their mind. Okay, so we've got it. It's, it's a, a very dark cover, and what it's dominated by a, well, it's uh, some plants, a flowering plant. And I'm not going to say what the flowering plant is because it's clearly uh, integral Ooh. to the plot, um, but it's peeping through a garden fence that's been painted a very, 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 very dark blue and then picked out in white across the centre is Finder's Keepers and then in uh, yellow, uh, Sabine Durant uh, at the bottom and her obsession is your life at the top. Okay, well... It was um, her obsession, comma, your life, but we thought there were too many commas, so it's become her obsession is Interesting, your life. that's an interesting... <laughs> oh, yeah. So take us into the world of Finders Keepers then, Sabine, and also, although Matt was being very kind of, I'm not going to tell you about the plant, I don't know how much we can say and how much we can't say. So oh, over to you, it's... first of all. So it is about... Um, Two neighbours, a woman um, who's lived in the area for a very long time. She looked after her mother in the house. She was born in the house. She's in her 50s and she lives on her own. And it's about her relationship with her next door neighbour who is new. And um, this fence on the front is very important that it's one of those new fences that people have, which are, um, you know, old fences were vertical and new, all the new fences that go up around my area, you know, very sort of slatted. Anyway, that's sort of indicative of this woman who moves in next door. She completely guts the house. She builds down. She builds up. And Verity, who's the woman who's lived there for years and years, becomes... Initially, she's very resistant to this neighbour. And then gradually, she becomes um, inveigled into her life. And it begins, in fact, in the future. Well, most of the action takes place after they've first met. But as the book begins, we know that the neighbour, the sort of lovely cozy no but actually not that cozy slightly smug young mother is living with verity she's actually moved in with verity because her husband has died under suspicious circumstances and so you then go back to find out you know how and why he died but and it's through the perspective of verity who is the um the 50 year old next door neighbor yeah she's a lexicographer yes she is okay just explain a little bit about the lexicographer because it means that we get each chapter starting with 
uh, a really a cool word and a definition. Yes. So why did you make her a lexicographer? Well, I wanted her to work at home because I wanted her to have lots of opportunities to be looking at her neighbour and, you know, to be in the listening out for the ice cream vans. Um, she's <laughs> also, I thought, I, you know, it's a kind, she's a very precise woman. She takes life very literally. And also she's, the world is, is rather frightening to her because she's lived this particular sort of, she had this particular sort of upbringing. And so words are a way of defining life, pinning things down, of making sense of her experience. Um, and so, yeah, and also it was quite a good little kind of, I don't know, little motif through the book. It's kind of quite nice to have something, isn't it, to break up the chapters and to sort of make you think, oh, what's this chapter going to be about? It's like a little signal for the reader, I think. Yeah, so uh, just before uh, Matt chips in, can you just tell us uh, about the houses, the two? I mean, you've given us a hint about Verity's house. So Ailsa, so Ailsa says the Tilson family, they've moved in, they're looking for a new style, this place called Trinity Fields. There's, there's, uh, There's Tom... Tommy she's married. husband, yep. Yes, uh, well, yeah. Uh, and then there's Melissa and there's Max and there's B. So they've all moved in. But just tell us about uh, the Tilson house and Verity's house as a way of kind of getting into this. And then Matt will chip in with a brilliantly constructed question. <laughs> <laughs> so the Tilson house, is, they're the newcomers. They've, they've been, they're, yeah, the people who lived there before lived there for years and it sort of slightly smelt of fish and had children's drawings stuck to the fridge. And they came in and they completely gutted the house it's all cream and white and it's got lovely massive great stone floor in the kitchen that actually then follows out into the garden and they've got big bifold doors that open crittle doors that open out and everything is white and cream and sparse and minimalist and Verity's house the woman who's lived next door and who's always lived in the house next door is very different Um, and it's untouched and she one of the things it is slightly a bit of a spoiler but it's sort of so central to the book it's very hard to I mean you know very early on that she's quite eccentric and that she has possibly an unusual attitude to things to possessions um but you gradually realize that in fact her house which is falling apart and has got sort of ivy creeping through and rather tatty curtains and things laid you know piled up in the front garden but actually the chaos inside is sort of more than you might even imagine thinking it was a sort of eccentrics house. You know, it is, there is a lot of stuff in the house. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the Tilsons because you've, you've sort of hinted already. Well, we, we know from the start Tom has died. Um, and obviously you're, we're going to be, the, the, the story we're, we're sort of hooked on from the start is what has happened to Tom because we know he's died under certain circumstances. And I, here's the thing I love about these, the, these books is that the, the, the reader is complicit sometimes. And by that, what, what I mean is that you will have, um, the author will introduce um, certain characters and will drop a really, really subtle hint that basically you at the reader will go, oh, I don't like him or <laughs> I don't like her because uh, the way they're acting there is not very nice. And therefore, if they come to a grisly end, I, for one, I'm not going to be too upset. <laughs> and and, and here's, so I, I love I love those first sort of subtle hints. And with uh, Ailsa, it's um, the fact that she's, when we first meet her, she has uh, parked her car in a red zone, which is blocking all the traffic 
traffic behind her and I'm thinking, right, I don't like you at all. <laughs> and Tom, when we first meet him, he's coming round to have a complaint and it's the first thing he says is moan, 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 moan. He's like, right, whatever happens to you, sunshine, I'm not going to be too upset and I do hope it's nice and grisly. And I, I, I wonder whether, that's, is, that, is that something you're thinking of when you're, when you're first introducing a character that you like to think, right, uh, let's drop those ever so subtle hints about whether we're going to like this person or not? Yes, very much so. And also what I, you know, so they are, they're perfectly decent people, seemingly. I mean, there's nothing, you know, they, they have a sense of entitlement, but then so many people do have a sense of entitlement. Mm. And, um, but I really enjoy all that. I mean, I loathe them and I loathe, and I'm, but you know, obviously we don't, you know, one doesn't want anybody to die. Um, but I think that is quite a fun thing and quite an enjoyable process when you're writing these psychological thrillers, which is that, you know, I'm really interested in trying to make unattractive characters sympathetic so that um, actually you are thinking, oh, actually, I might even vaguely understand where you're coming from in, in this. Mm. And the opposite with the characters who are, I mean, you know, often I'm thinking about my own worst things when I'm writing the worst characters. I mean, there's this whole thing with Elsa's got this box of penguin postcards and she's incredibly... She's very cavalier about the postcards that she drops through to Verity because she has no respect particularly for Verity. She's not going to be anybody who's particularly she wants to impress. So you can tell that she's just giving her the look, you know, those boxes of penguin postcards. There's some in there that you, you know, what's the point of sending them? They're not that interesting, whereas others are really high class ones. And I'm so aware of doing that myself. And it's a terrible trait, you know, the ones that you, I mean, probably the ones that aren't that interesting sit at the bottom of the box but anyway little bit things like that I I sometimes look at myself and think what are the worst things I do not that I am I mean actually it's not just the parking on the red route it's the being rude to the traffic warden who Verity is yeah. known since he was a child is the thing that really turns us against Elsa you know she, she's careless of people's feelings that's the, the two women the big difference between them really is that Elsa is careless of people's emotions and feelings and Verity is oversensitive to people's emotions and feelings and particularly her own I suppose but also to other people so she's you know Elsa says things to her you know like oh gosh you're my wing woman or you know oh you're the best thing that's ever happened to me or what would we do without you and they think they just you know just brush off remarks Elsa doesn't mean them for a moment and yet Verity takes them totally to heart and you know dwells on them and thinks on them and you know Elsa says oh I'll see you next week but maybe Wednesday and Elsa's thinking Verity's thinking you know when it comes to Wednesday she's expecting it and when it doesn't when the meeting doesn't happen it's a sort of you know catastrophic event in her life and I suppose that's the central thing in my book really is this way in which people treat each other or these two characters treat each other and and how sort of catastrophic events can come out of these sort of misunderstandings. Was she was Verity always going to be the person who narrates our tale here yeah I had her voice in my head quite early on I, I mean it's funny when you're writing books isn't it you sort of sometimes you're just responding to what you've written before and I sort of wanted somebody who was slightly older um and um I wanted somebody who was an observer and who wasn't really le- leading a very active life was leaving a rather passive life and also was very I wanted somebody who was a bit finickety and was a bit pompous about language and pedantic about language and and things. So yeah, she came quite easily. Once I got her, the book was I found it you know, some books really hard to write. It's getting the voice, I think, and 
the narrative flow, whereas she was a sort of, yeah, reasonably easy in that sense. I found that. I mean, she's ghastly. I mean, if you've got her voice in your head, what a terrible experience <laughs> that would be because you see, she's... there you go. See, I don't think neighbor, she is She's ghastly. a terrible... Oh, well, of course she, of course I don't she think is. she's ghastly either. <laughs> oh, that's all. Come on. I don't, oh, and come she's on. not. She really isn't. She's... I mean, I, I, my sympathy, I'm always in her corner. I think, they're all, I think the Tilsons next door are awful. They're the worst kind of neighbours. And they're just Peter and Penelope perfect. They really get on my nerves. Whereas <laughs> Apart very, from the one has just been killed. Or just well, died. yeah. But I am, as I've said already... As I've said already, I am sort of okay with that. I'm sort of okay with Tom meeting a grisly end just because he's a bit rude. In the same way that, you know, obviously, I imagine grisly deaths for people who cut in front of me in the queue. When actually, obviously, I wouldn't really be okay with them meeting a grisly death in real life. It's just for, you know, for those two or three seconds after they've cut in front of me at the supermarket, I'm like, right, I I rather liked fantasising about you getting cut up in a wood chipper. Agatha Christie said, and it's something I often think about, she said, um, we all have the wish to kill somebody, but not all of us have the will to kill people. And I think that's quite an mm. interesting, I think your Simon's right, that that thing, you just, oh, just you know, the noise, people that were having a party, I'm like a few gardens away from me on Saturday night, and they're lying in bed just wanting, imagining, just doing something terrible. Yeah, no, I've done that. <laughs> oh, I've done that so many times. Oh yeah. So is that is that the basis of the appeal of this kind of fiction? Is that we even obviously in real life, you know, no. But in a book, you're thinking, well, I know that someone's going to die here. I hope it's that person. Yes. And as Matt said, I hope it's Grizzly. You're thinking, where's where's the, where's this come from? <laughs> it makes me feel very dark. But I can't. I can't be the right. I can't be the only one who thinks that. I'm sure that's pretty widespread. And Simon, obviously, you're you know you know. Let's all get along. Let's buy the world a coke or whatever. But I am very much in the sort of the darker end of that. And and thinking if you decide to have a have a party, your side is winning. Your night, side is definitely yeah, winning. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> it's all my fault. Everything that's happened <laughs> is all my fault. Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at ikea-usa.com. So, um, Sabine, tell us about the neighbour that you had at the end of your garden. Well, I didn't know anything about her, really, because there was a very, very built-up ivy that went up into the tree. It was like a wall at the end of the garden. And one day, about a few years ago, my my other next next neighbour's rabbit got loose in our garden. Our dog chased this rabbit round and round the garden. And eventually the rabbit was missing and we had children crying and I was responsible because it had been my dog. And so I took a sort of parade of small weeping children round the block, which is quite a long way round to this house that I worked out backed onto me. But I, it was, you know, in the way that London blocks work, it wasn't particularly obvious immediately. But anyway, when we got to this house, big house um, and one of a pair, but not to, a pair, but not attached to each other. One, one of them was a semi-detached house one was detached but they were both incredibly um tatty and 
you know, but big, knocked on the door. And this woman came to the door who I'd never seen, who was well-dressed and well-spoken and polite and friendly. Um, and we explained about the rabbit and she was really resistant to us going into the garden. And I felt sort of embarrassed, but all these children were crying. And so eventually she let us through the house and the house was in an extraordinary state. And there were piles of, there was piles of post and Amazon packages in the hall um, and also just junk mail you know the junk mail that comes through which you know maybe you get three or four pieces every other day but this was a mountain of junk mail just sort of all over the floor and then we went through the kitchen which was just awful and one of the things I really remember and in fact I put it in the book was this splatter of tomato sauce that was just went from sort of one side of the kitchen to the other and the thing that, and so, you know, what it really interested me was this, you know, there's another hoarder who lives a few streets away from us, a couple, and you see them around collecting things. And they're very obviously hoarders. You know, the house is very obviously hoarded, uh, the house of hoarders. Whereas the woman who backed onto me is was not, I mean, if you saw her in the street, you'd think she was on her way to church. But the thing that really stuck with me and absolutely has sat in my head for the three years between this happening and writing the book was she... She said, oh, I'm sorry about the mess. I'm having a clear out. And it was just her sort of awareness of the state in which mm. she was living and her, you know, and her embarrassment and her was just so poignant. And so I suppose that's really that she was the model for Verity yes. only in the sense of the house and that moment. But interestingly, after I wrote the book and had pretty well put it to bed, I am. Um, have been clearing out a family house. My mother died a few years ago, but my stepfather died in November when I'd really finished the book. And I was responsible for clearing his house, their house that they lived in together for 40 years. And what's really interesting to me about this is that their house was perfectly, you know, perfectly fine. There were rather a lot of chairs everywhere because they played bridge and there was lots of, quite a few, lots of ornaments and things. But otherwise it wasn't. But when we, when we got beneath the outside of the house into the into the cupboards I realized that actually in their own way they were sort of hoard I mean I mean I think we all are in certain certain degrees we all hoard certain things and I was just sorting through you know I think every single piece of wrapping paper that had give, been given to them in any form wrapped in any present for 40 years was in plastic bags in the loft in cupboards wow. every theater program back to the 60s every birthday card, every party invitation. And what's, so some of that was and salt and pepper from airlines or, you know, Pret-a-Manger sandwiches, a bag of little tiny salt and peppers. And part of that, I realised, was to do with, you know, the war and thrift and, yeah, that's the wrapping paper, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely saving, not having, not being wasteful. But the other stuff was much more about you know, I suppose the letters and the invitations, it's sort of about proving that you've existed in a funny way. And I found that, again, it's sort of so interesting how it fed back into what I'd already written, which is that our attitude to stuff is complicated and it is about how we assess who we are and our, you know, the impact that we've had on the world. So there are two things, really. There's a woman who lived around the corner, but there's also my own family and also then coming back I also found these boxes of things that I'd collected as a child including sort of felt tip lids I had the felt tip lid that I'd carried in my pocket in an anorak and I realized that I'd kept it because I'd been in my anorak pocket for 
a few months and it became so these sort of strange talisman things and so I wonder whether it sort of came from inside as much as anything there you go was that a longer answer than you wanted no that, no, no that was a great answer <laughs> I, and, I, and oddly I, I can absolutely um, sympathise with that because I know that I you know when you're talking about theatre programmes and, and things like that I certainly keep those kind of things and even I, you know I've kept tickets to uh, gigs tickets to uh, even tickets to uh, football matches and you know other sporting events that I've been to I've definitely kept them and I, I yes it, it feels as you say it's it's like uh it's that mark it's that sort of I was here I you know I I, I attended these things or I I was involved in those things and 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 this is the you know this is the mark I made was just by attending them but um I, I yes it, it doesn't seem strange at all now the, going back to your book, where there, there is a character who who is a hoarder, it felt like. I mean, I didn't know this backstory that you've just um, that you've just told us now, but uh, it felt like you had done quite a lot of research into this. Other, it, it didn't feel like it was just something that had happened to one of your neighbours. It felt like it was something that you'd you'd sort of delved into and 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 really, you know, read some some sort of medical um, psychology. Uh, um, works on it i mean is no, that I the case or, or was, no oh, yeah. i did yes yeah i read some cycle you know some proper books about it also i watched quite a few of those programs you know called hoarders you know the, oh yeah um yeah, which yeah. are sort of um, they're all sort of the same but and i read this the book that actually i found most useful was a book by Susanna walker called the life of stuff and again it was about going to her mother's house after her mother had died and not really realizing what estate her mother had left the house in because for the last year she'd been kind of putting Susanna off visiting the house and but again it was a and it's really about you know what what our stuff means and why we collect and and why other people find it sort of repellent I suppose in a way <laughs> well I suppose it comes from you know insecurity doesn't it that's the I mean the, the I think one of the theories is that people who've had trauma in their past um people who've survived concentration camps, I think there was a sort of link between that kind of deprivation and hoarding. Um, so I think, yeah, so De Verity has had a fairly, you know, a difficult childhood and a difficult upbringing. And um, so I tried not to make it just, you know, sensationalist. When you're telling a story, which is, broadly speaking, a psychological thriller, do you sit and plot... Uh, very closely, Sabine. Do you do chapter by chapter, you know, so that by chapter six, we've just, we're suspecting that. By chapter eight, we're doubting that and we're thinking, no, maybe it's the dog uh, and so on. Do you, um, do you sit down and plan relentlessly? Yes. So it varies so, and it's much easier to write a book. I don't think the necessary makes a difference in the long run, but if you're, the more you plot, the more, the easier it is, I think, to stick to something and, I mean, I've just started now and I was sort of impatient to get going because I felt I'd sort of wasted a few months and I needed to start writing. And so I started writing and the first 2,000 words I'm really pleased with. And then the next 1,000, I'm thinking, oh, it's gone wrong already. And that's because I wasn't really sure whether they were going to do this or that. And I was trying out one and then I'm going to try out the other, like, you know, rewinding on a film. Um, and, yeah, the best books, the books that I've actually written, chapter one, this is going to happen, chapter two, this is going to happen, chapter three. And I think more about plot rather than about what the um, reader is going to be thinking. And that I do, in the second edit, go back and think, oh, I need to, you know, like a magician sort of divert attention at this point. 
Um, but I tend not to do that in the planning, just the plot. So I just want to ask a question about the ending, okay? Oh. Very, very, you know, I, I will hedge around because is it true that your editor originally said, Sabine, this is too dark, you can't do this, and you had to change it? I don't think she thought it was dark enough. Okay, so, okay, well, that's, um, the, that's the... So yeah, I've got definitely it the edit, I definitely the wrong way around. But it yeah, was, I definitely so, had a different ed- ending. And, and maybe you're oh, trying to think. No, I don't think she thought it was too dark. I think she is, you know, editors of psychological thrillers, they really want darkness. Um, I think, yes, I had a different ending. And um, it didn't quite... In fact, not dark. It was too... I can't, it's so hard to say. You can't talk about endings without giving them I away. I haven't given <laughs> anything impossible. away. I know, but okay, I can't say fine. anything. Well, let's, well, no, let's I'm just the one who's struggling. Sure about it. Basically, I did have a different ending. And in fact, I had three endings. And I had two endings in my head. But actually, funny enough, we just asked about planning. And I do find endings. Because I, when I, often when you're plotting, I mean, you two will know this too. You have this ending and it seems, but sometimes it, when you get there, it seems a bit too neat after the sort of, once you've actually got to know the characters, your ending might seem so nice and clever at the beginning, but might not quite seem right at the end. And that often happens to me. The ending where I went catastrophically wrong was my second thriller, which is called Remember Me This Way. And it was about a woman whose husband has died in a car accident and she is convinced he's still alive and... Um, I wrote the entire book thinking that it was fine for the reader not to know at the end whether he was still alive or not, but it was perfectly okay to keep it open. And my the very first read through, my editor said, you've got to decide. In fact, at that point, I had an American editor and a British editor, and they both said, you've got to decide. And one of them said, he's got to be dead. And the other one says, he's got to be alive. <laughs> so wow. I think I did slightly different endings for the American version and the british version not that it really mattered because no one bought it at all in america whatsoever so um just i mean just for the record here sabine i think it's a great ending and i um you you know uh i I think it absolutely works and i'm not giving anything away when oh there's the ice cream van there it is as promised excellent nine please (laughs) yes absolutely have a mivy Um, (laughs) mivy get you um so yeah so no there's like there's a one there's one forward phrase and this is not a spoiler it's not going to give anything away but when i saw the one phrase people trip so easily i thought oh that is good (laughs) that is very very strong and 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 here's right so we've we're not going to obviously talk about the ending to your book here because it would it would be impossible to talk about it without massive spoilers. But I do want to... You've sort of t- touched a little bit on endings in general. And uh, sort of me and Simon have a bit of a sort of uh, difference of opinion on this. I, I think your ending in this book is great, but I think people stress too much about the endings to books. I don't think they matter as much as people uh, as as much as people really stress about Ludicrous them. Ludicrous idea. And, and and Simon disagrees <laughs> as as you've just heard. What is your feeling? Do do endings really really matter, or are they? Is it you know? Obviously, it's nice to have a good ending. No one wants to have a bad ending, but a bad ending doesn't mean that the the, the book is awful. 
No, I think I sort of agree. I mean, I think it's very hard to generalize. Um, I like quite open endings. So usually I leave mine quite open, um, not maybe quite as open as with that second book. I mean, you know, I've read a really, really good thriller recently. I think it's totally brilliant. and It's been in the bestseller list and it's got such a fantastic, such fantastic characters and such fantastic kind of arc. And the very bit at the end I found disappointing. and I felt it wasn't true to the character. It didn't ruin the book for me. I think there was a stage when everybody was trying to, particularly this type of book, trying to do, you know, clever little twists right at the end. Mm. And I sometimes think twists are better when they come halfway through. I mean, like Gone Girl, that was such a fantastic twist, just a little bit in, you know, a third into the book. Um, so do I think they really matter? It is funny that, isn't it? Because actually I noticed on, you know, Amazon reviews, the ending is what people talk about a lot. Good ending, bad ending. People like a happy ending. Um I, th- I mean, I think I think they really do, but that, maybe it depends what kind of book you're you're writing. To, because if you put down the book at the end and you be you, that ultimate, oh, really, that sense yeah. of disappointment is is what stays with you, even if the rest of it was great. Well, maybe, um, maybe. I think just Matt is clearly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask Matt if he has an ending for his book yet. Well, I do, and I've it's I so I've written it, um, but I'm still I'm still unsure about everything. I think um, my beginning is the one is the bit that I stress the most about, but the the ending I'm I'm sort of happy at the moment with. But you know, I only finished doing the ending about two weeks ago, so uh, so you know, it's sort of one of those things that it'll percolate, and then suddenly I'll realise in a month's time, oh no, that's the worst possible ending. I must come up with another. Yeah. Did you struggle with the idea of UFOs landing at the end of your story? <laughs> the T-Rex suddenly coming yeah. out, having not figured in the story before. Yeah, just a thought. it sounds as though you're already sort of well into your next book. What do we get from you next? Oh, God, I'm not well in. I'm only 3,000 words in. I was 4,000 and I've cut 1,000 this morning, so I'm feeling really low on it. Um, but I've, it's very different. It's set so far in the south of France and it's about a drift, a grifter who's a con, a con artist. Sounds rather old fashioned, doesn't it? A con artist. Um, but it's a woman who is in a sort of, there two of them together. She's, a, she's got a partner and um, something goes wrong and she ends up pretending to be somebody else. But I haven't, I haven't really got that far even to... Yeah. Do love a but good anyway, con artist story. I, I love, love a con those. artist. Yeah, I know yeah, they're yeah. good, aren't they? And I like those books where someone's pretending to be somebody else. And and that's I think I think what's good about you know I was reading Daphne du Maurier's The Scapegoat um, that you you're sort of on tenterhooks. You're with the you know the narrator and you are sort of slightly more in it together about oh, are you going to get is she going to get caught out? I quite fancy doing that. I mean I think you think when you're writing novels you somehow sometimes you're reacting against what you've written before as much as something else. And this book obviously was quite static and. <laughs> Certainly yeah. after the last four months, I'm quite keen, if though I'm not going to be going to the South France myself, that I might be writing about it at least. OK, well, we'll look forward to that. Sabine Durrant's book is Finders Keepers. Uh, elsewhere in this po- podcast stream, you will hear uh, Sabine tackle our uh, Q&A. So if you want more from Sabine Durrant, then you just have to hang around. Or if you're catching up with this like next year, then it'll already be there. And in which case, Sabine's next book might already be out. And you'll have already read about The Grifter Drifter. 
and you've worked out precisely all the truth about the con artist anyway. And you'll also uh, know where we stand as far as the pandemic's concerned, so please let everything be okay. And please do let us know if everything is okay if you're as, listening as from we the talk future. to you from the past. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I've got a headline title now. Grifter Drifter. There you go. Find us keepers. Yeah. Grifter Drifter. I'm done. Boom. Very good. <laughs> Can I write a quote for the cover? Yes, please. <laughs> Sabine, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Turn your house into a home as unique as you. With IKEA, every dollar means more quality, more sustainability, and ultimately, more inspiration. It's affordable personalization to make your home feel more you on a friendly budget. Everyone should be able to create their dream home, and it shouldn't always require a big investment or hiring a professional. IKEA is your partner for new furnishings, decor, and more. Affordable design, endless possibilities. Explore more at ikea-usa.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 